This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. popular belief, attaining presence is not about thinking or trying to be here now. Rather, it is a naturally occurring state that arises when our eyes and mind, triggered by light, focus on the same place at the same time. In response to light's invitation and guidance, our eyes begin an intricate dance of aiming, focusing, tracking, and teaming. When light first awakens us, our eyes aim toward its emanation, initiating an all-encompassing presence. Though we often relate presence to attention, it has no tension associated with it. It is not a forced voluntary process of selecting one aspect of our environment to focus on while ignoring others. Presence is an involuntary response to an invitation by life's intelligence pointing us toward our maximum potential. From the book Luminous Life, How the Science of Light Unlocks the Art of Living by Dr. Jacob Israel Liberman. Valeria Tellis interviews Dr. Liberman. He is a pioneer in the fields of light, vision, and consciousness, and the author of numerous books. Originally trained as an optometrist and vision scientist, his life changed in 1976 after the miraculous healing of his eyesight, leading him to a deeper understanding of light and the science of life. Having helped countless individuals recover their eyesight, he began to understand the words of Jonathan Swift. Real vision is the ability to see the invisible. An internationally respected author and keynote speaker, Dr. Liberman's work has been lauded by best-selling authors and world-renowned thought leaders from Eckhart Tolle and Deepak Chopra to Bruce Lipton. His first book, Light, Medicine of the Future, Inner Traditions Bear and Company, 1991, established him as one of the leading authorities on light and color therapy in the world. His second book, Take Off Your Glasses and See, a mind-body approach to expanding your eyesight and insight. Crown, 1995, was inspired by the recovery of his vision and offered a radical new approach to natural vision improvement. Wisdom from an Empty Mind, 2001, a compilation of spiritual essays written and self-published by Dr. Liberman and his son Eric, received praise from award-winning artists and spiritual luminaries. To read Dr. Liberman's full biography, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. 
Here is the interview with Dr. Jacob Israel Liberman. In your own words, who is Jacob Lieberman? Who is Jacob Lieberman? Jacob Lieberman is a label <laughs> that was given to something that can't be described, probably for use uh, in this everyday plane with each other. But now to get it a little bit more realistic, Jacob is someone whose nature is to help others. So that's been much of what my life has been about is helping others. And it's just part of my, my nature. I'm one of those people that are always there. Uh, usually even before you ask, I'm already there. That's wonderful. Thank you. I have a few warm-up questions before we talk about your book, Luminous Life, How the Science of Light Unlocks the Art of Living. So my first warm-up question is, what is life? Life is this, uh, this experience that we are having. And what the purpose of it is, I cannot tell you. It's um, my sense is that it is a journey toward uncovering who we are. Uh, uncovering who we are. Do you have any idea of who we are? <laughs> I do. I do. Most everyone believes that they are the body that you see, the name that's associated, what our profession or our occupation is in the world, our personality traits, and so on. Most of us believe that we are what we call our mind, my mind, the mind that we say, I can change my mind, I don't mind it, I have certain beliefs, and so on. However, the only reason that human beings are aware of the external world, the internal sensations within the physical body, and continually aware of the process going on in the mind that we call thinking is because the essential human being is not the mind, but is that which is observing it. And so who we are from my direct experience, is a field of awareness that is not, doesn't have a name. You cannot describe it. It doesn't have a point of view. It merely just notices that which is. And so, you know, I was originally trained as an eye doctor. And so people think, oh, we see with our eyes. But my life experiences have allowed me to directly notice that what is seeing is not the eyes, is not the mind's eye, but it is that which is noticing all those activities. And so the reason we're aware of the chatter in the mind uh, is because something is observing that chatter, just like when we watch our televisions, we don't believe we're the television that we're watching, but we are aware of it. And so we're essentially a field of awareness. Some people call that consciousness, but I, I call it a field of pure awareness. And my whole life is about the magic and mystery of that which we are speaking about right now. 
So I guess what comes to mind, <laughs> why is the experience in a human body needed for that consciousness, for that awareness? Well, I can only answer from my own life experience. Most of my life, like everyone else, I identified myself with what we call my mind. After many, many years and many experiences, I realized that what I called my mind wasn't actually mine. It was actually just an accumulation of experiences, compensatory behaviors, not just in my lifetime, but in the lifetime of my predecessors. And so the mind is sort of an accumulation of all the compensatory mechanisms that the mind-body uses in response to life experiences. Now, why is that needed? Because we spend most of our life thinking that we are that. But it's interesting that the mind is filled with something, a word that you used prior to our interview, belief. And today, that is a very common word. People say, oh, you need to change your beliefs, or I believe this. Except when you look up the word belief, you realize that belief, idea, thought, concept, theory, postulate, hypothesis, all mean the same thing. The word that is opposite of belief is truth. So the mind or beliefs are virtual. They're momentary. They are not truth. They're just continually changing. Truth is that which is noticing it and never changes. It is always there. So for me, the purpose of these experiences is to eventually come back to the place where we began this life, which is a place that notices without preferences. So in a way, it has been said it's possible to die before we die, right? Yeah, well, it's possible to awaken before we die. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's my next question. What's the opposite of life? I don't know if there is such a thing. My, I've never been asked that question, but my sense is that something is always aware of what's going on. And that is occurring whether my sense is whether there is a physical interaction or not. So, for instance, when you think of life, you think of an experience you and I are having. But when we think of the creative force of the universe, whether you call that light or God or consciousness, depending on the perspective, whether you're looking at it from a spiritual, religious, or scientific perspective, the creative force takes the name of God from a religious perspective, consciousness from a spiritual perspective, and light as the fundamental energy from which life emerges from a scientific perspective. That creative force is always there. It doesn't have a live or opposite of life. It exists in what we call non-duality. It just is. But the life that we have 
we experience as in a dual sense. We're living or we're dying. We're waking or we're sleeping. Everything is spoken about in terms of duality. This place that notices what's happening is non-dual. To give you a, a concrete example of what I'm talking about, we're all in the midst of an experience that none of us on the planet have ever had before, which is this experience dealing with the coronavirus. And most people look at it as a pandemic <clears throat> and something you know bad and so on. And then other people say, yes, but the world has never been so quiet and a lot of good things are happening. And both of those are dual perspectives. What's happening for me right now is that I'm continually aware of all of that. The fear, the loss, the empathy for oneself or others who are going through pain and loss as a function of this. The trepidation, am I going to be able to make it without money and so on. And then at the same time, there is this silence. The birds have never sang so loudly. The world has never experienced a more impact on global warming and clearing of the environment that is occurring right now. This has been much more potent than anything humans have ever done. So there's a dual perspective, which is what's happening with most individuals. And then there's a non-dual perspective, which allows one to feel simultaneously the peace and the vulnerability, the pain and the pleasure, all simultaneously, all as an equal part of humanity. Wow. That's powerful, the way you say it, and it resonates true to me. You said the word God, consciousness, light, they're basically the same thing. So all this is non-duality. Can non-duality be experienced without the dualistic concepts? How is it possible to experience non-duality? Because when you begin, when you awaken to the fact that we are not the continually changing ideas in the mind, but we are that which is observing it and observing it from no point of view. The perspective of no point of view, or another way of saying that is unconditional acceptance, that is non-duality. Non-duality is the acceptance of all that is not as right or wrong or good or bad, but all of it as being part of the experience that we call life. That's a very interesting perspective because for me, it has not been an experience, but a knowing that I can't explain really. We can't really, um, yeah, it's hard to understand that, but it, we can know, somehow know it. You've, you've said it exactly. The way that you've said it uh, is actually more to the point than the way that I that it came from me. Uh, it's not an idea. It's an absolute knowing. It's sort of like, I don't know whether you've ever had children or, but when, when you have a child, you'll notice at times 
that you just get a sense. You're, you're, something about your child will enter your awareness. You'll pick up your phone to call your daughter. And as soon as you say hello, she says, oh, mommy or oh, daddy, I was just thinking of you. I was just feeling you. <laughs> well, you see, you didn't think I have to call my daughter or my son. It was an absolute knowing. They entered your awareness and something immediately moved forward to reach out to them. And that knowing is that place of non-duality that you speak of. It's not, I see the word I think means I don't know. The mind deals in thinking, which is not, which is I don't know. The field of awareness, which is the source of all that is, that deals only in one thing, absolute clarity and knowing. Yeah, and that has a lot to do with the space. It seems like it creates the space within us to embrace everything as it is, the experiences without attaching to, to any of it. It's not so much that it widens it within us, but when we are our source, in other words, when we are that space that cannot be described, we are choiceless. We're not in a place that this place I speak about does not deal with decisions or choices. That's something that has to do with the mind. This place has a knowing doesn't decide or prefer anything. There's a, a great sage 1,500 years ago who said the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. Yeah, that's a good... That's and, you know, many wise people from Jesus on down all said the same thing in slightly different words. Jesus was quoted as saying, when you see up is down and down is up, when the outside and the inside are the same, when you see a man as a woman and a woman as a man, then you shall enter the kingdom. And so what essentially he was saying is when you see things all the same, when you don't see them as different, that's the state of non-duality. That's the point of awareness, our essential essence. That's the kingdom of God. That's, that's all those terms that attempt to describe something that is not describable. Right. Would you call that knowing freedom? Well, how can I say this? Yes and no. Yes, because when you think of freedom, you think of being free. But in this place that I'm speaking of, there's nothing other than that. So the moment we label it, we have a problem. So, you know, I used to be a physician and scientist. And one of the things that I found myself saying often is, it's not the disease that kills someone, it's the diagnosis. It's the fear and the meaning that one makes about the word cancer that is often much worse than the cancer itself. So when you ask the question, is this freedom? Yes, it's freedom. But the level of freedom that or boundlessness that we're speaking about can never be described by a word. There's no word for infinity. 
nor a state of mind or concepts, ideas, right? It cannot be described. Yeah. So I guess my question really is, how can this knowing affect the experiences? How do we change when we are living from that space or being that awareness? Well, you see, in that space, nothing requires changing. See, there's nothing wrong. We have an epidemic in this world today, which is something's wrong with me. I'm not present enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not successful enough. I'm not creating my reality enough. My relationship isn't perfect. We have all of these concepts that have little, if anything, to do with reality. The space I'm speaking about is actually unconditionally accepting of what is. There is no need to change. So what actually occurs, you see, I, I used to say, do we really change or do we just become more accepting of who we have always been? You see, if there is an unconditional acceptance of who one is, there's no need for any change. There's nothing to actually do. And so the idea something is wrong with me is just that. It's an idea, but it's not based in fact. It's just an idea we have, a belief that we have. That's true. I agree. Let me try to rephrase that question. A lot of people, they imagine, they think that having this understanding or being in this knowing this space, which is awareness, non-duality, that also means uh, never getting angry, always experiencing joy and peace and love and everything's just wonderful. Yeah, that's a fairy tale. That's a fairy tale. You see, when one is in that space, they disappear. It's sort of like, imagine that you have a drop of water in an ocean. When the drop of water falls into the ocean, the drop of water doesn't exist any longer, does it? Right. Yeah, that's true. It's just an ocean. So when the individual or idea of an individual recedes back into its source, the ocean or an ocean of awareness, it does not exist any longer. So all these things about my relationship working, I have enough money now, I always get the parking space in front of the health food store, all that, that doesn't actually exist. Life has nothing to do with that anymore. Uh, A lot of the confusion is people think, well, if I wake up, I'll never have financial difficulties, relational difficulties. I'll never get sick. In fact, if I get sick, it's because I created that reality. Well, you know, I have never had any experience like that. And uh, awakening has nothing to do with being in charge of your life, has nothing to do with creating anything. The awakening is the realization that everything is occurring all on its own. Let me give you an example. Um, I'm looking out my window. I live in Maui, Hawaii, so I'm seeing mountains across, across the island there. I can see the ocean, the sky, and so on. 
But I'm not in control of any of that. I don't control the wind. I don't control when the sun comes up or down. I don't control the tides. I don't control the weather. I don't control anything about the environment. So now let's move our eyes inward. Let's talk about the in's inner environment. None of us control our heart rate. None of us control our respiration. In fact, we don't even breathe on our own. None of us control our blood pressure, our hormonal release, our blood sugar, you know, our glucose levels. Are, we don't control any of these things. In fact, there is nothing in our physiology that is designed to initiate action. In other words, there's nothing inside of our physiology designed to do. Everything that comes from us is a response. I'll give you an example of a response. You have a plant. It's sitting there in the ground at night. The moment the sun begins to come up, the plant receives something from the sun and then begins to position itself to receive the optimal amount of light it requires to fulfill every function of its life. Humans respond the same way to light. Interestingly enough, the Bible refers to God also as light. So what I'm saying is our entire life occurs without us. The whole idea that I have to make things happen is actually in opposition with everything we know about health, the body, science, the environment, and everything else. That is true. So true. What about choosing when we feel like we are making better choices? Because now we understand, let's say, this idea, it's still an idea if we are talking about it, um, using the mind, this is duality. So if we apply this idea of knowing, of pure awareness, is that true in the way that we choose better? We don't choose at all. You live in a state of choiceless awareness. When there is clarity, there's knowing. And when there's knowing, choice does not exist. When you are choosing, what you're saying is, I don't know which way to go. Choosing is associated with not knowing. When there's not knowing, there's actually no way to choose. But when there's knowing, it occurs automatically. Oh, wow. I love that. And it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Yes. I have a few more warm-up questions. <laughs> we are getting into the subject that we'll be talking in a minute about light. But um, there's another question I want to ask you. What is the most important person in your universe? The most important person? There isn't a singular person. I mean, immediately what comes to mind are the people I'm closest to. My wife, my son, my daughter. Uh, those are the people that I am most closely bonded with, if you will. Everyone is important. Everyone is important. So uh, how can I 
share this with you. Uh, I used to make a little joke. I used to say, um, people go to synagogue on Saturday or church on Sunday and pray to God. And then the rest of the week, they fall asleep. God must be laughing. Essentially, the way we respond to one thing is the same way we're designed to respond to everything. So for instance, if you have a lover and you share with them that you love them, that has a certain meaning. When you have finished dinner and you're washing the dishes, do you wash the dishes with the same degree of love as you tell I love you to your lover? Do you pay your bills with the same degree of love? When you go to a restaurant and someone brings you a coffee and breakfast, do you feel the same degree of appreciation and gratefulness with them as you do with anyone else? I guess what I'm sharing is, for me, I treat everything the same way. When I'm making the bed, I don't do that in a different way than when I'm having this conversation with you. It's all the same degree of being there, the same degree of involvement. It all requires, or not requires, but it all gives us the opportunity of allowing a response of impeccability, of totalness. I love that. And um, speaking of love, what is love to you? Love is a bank account of good feelings. <laughs> love is the answer regardless the question. Love is an inseparable connection with all that is. Love is not I love you. It is I and you are the same. We're the same. I am you. You are me. So in my particular case, my nature is such that my actions are never about me. My actions are always about everything that will be impacted. How, and it's not a thinking, but it seems to just occur naturally for me in that way. So I don't know how to d describe that, but it's inclusive rather than exclusive. I'm not going to be doing something that's good for me and bad for you. That's not going to happen in, in, in my life. And it's interesting that you mentioned that about thinking. How do we know when that knowing this maybe instant of understanding or of what, who we are and what life is all about. How do we know when that becomes a belief and how do we avoid that or try to avoid that becoming a thinking process and, and a concept as well? First of all, there's nothing you can do that's going to pretty much impact anything. It is one's awareness that creates the change, not one's doing. If it was, we would be called human doings. So another way of saying that is how do we know the difference between the mind 
and this field of pure awareness because the mind is chattering all the time and that's who we think we are. And then there's this other place. Well, the first thing is you recognize when the mind is active because you can hear it talking. This place of awareness sees everything and says absolutely nothing. It does not speak. So if you hear a voice, it is not the source of awareness. It is what you call mind. There's nothing to do about it. When you see it, it begins to change. This is why I say awareness is curative. When there's an awareness about something, it begins to change on its own. There's nothing for you to do. It literally changes on its own with each awareness. Right. I like that. So there's just a change that occurs naturally because there's nothing that's not it anyway. Everything is it. Right. And then there's another thing. When there is this pure level of seeing, the body has a rhythm that continues. And the rhythm is that the body expands and then it contracts. Some people think of that as breathing and they believe that they are breathing, but we are not breathing. Something is breathing us. And it's not only breathing our lungs, but the same expansion and contraction is going on in the heart, in the entire vascular system, in all of our glands, all of our organs, all of our cells, all of our cellular components. Everything in the environment is expanding and contracting. The earth itself is fluctuating in its size. So is the solar system and the universe. So what we call breathing is the heartbeat of life entrained in our individual body. One of the things that I've discovered is that when we are involved in trying to make things happen, which is another way of saying working on things or thinking about things, when we are involved in that, you'll notice that the breathing is either contracted or stops. But when one is in this pure state of awareness where the mind is either empty or not, but we're not involved with it, the breathing continues flowing and full. So when we're working on life or thinking about life, the breathing is held. In fact, everything is held, which means nothing is free. When this other state occurs, nothing is held. Everything can breathe easily. And there's nothing to do to experience this state. This is the state we naturally uh, recede into. It's our source when there's a realization that we are the observer of mental activity, not the mental activity itself. Mm. And that's another question that I usually ask. What makes us realize that? Not everyone has that awareness at the same time. 
it's not associated with doing and so on. But I'll give you an example. In the very early 70s, 1971, I was introduced to this practice that was called meditation. And at the time, people thought of meditation as, um, you know, some activity that you did to come into a state of relaxation. It had to do with breathing techniques. It had to do with focusing on a mantra or on a third eye or placing the tongue on the roof of the mouth. There, there were m- many different approaches. And people thought it was an exercise you did to relax. But when one sits to meditate, the first thing they notice, because people say, oh, you want to meditate for 20 minutes. And the first thing that they notice is that they're unable to meditate for 20 seconds. That the first thing they notice is that the mind doesn't quiet, right? And so they keep trying to quiet the mind and they notice that there's nothing they can do to quiet the mind. (laughs) Yes, right. Especially when you're trying to quiet the mind. Because trying to quiet the mind and not paying attention to the mind is the same activity. It produces the same effect. Eventually, while the individual is not looking, all of a sudden, they notice that they're hearing less activity. And if they are very fortunate, they discover that they are noticing the mind's activity, that they are noticing it. And any attempt to change the mind, which is interacting with it, is like when your dog comes to the dining room table while you're eating and starts to make little noises and and put the his or her paws on your lap and if you give them something to eat they're quiet for a couple of seconds until they finish and then they want something else to eat and as long as you keep feeding them they keep wanting more food And so then people say, well, that doesn't work, so I'll do the opposite. So the dog comes and you say, no, sit down. And the dog sits down for a second. But what the dog is hearing is, oh, my owner wants to play with me. They're interacting with me. So whether the interaction is positive, I give the dog food, or the interaction is what we call negative, no Sparky, I'm eating. The impact of both of those interactions, whether you call positive or negative, creates the exact same result. The dog keeps coming back, but when the dog comes to the table and you take your hand and you just pet it on the head, you acknowledge it, and then you go back to eating, after a while, the dog either leaves or sits quietly. And so the mind is just like that dog. We have been trained to interact with the mind, to make a choice, to think ahead, 
to make things happen. And so we find that most of our day, we are rehearsing our activities inside in hopes that when we enter the experience, we'll get the right answer, we'll make the good impression, we'll get the job, we'll win, we'll pass the test, whatever it is. All of that internal rehearsal is a, um, a sneaky way in which we cheat. We don't cheat on the test by looking at someone else's test paper. We cheat by rehearsing because we don't think anyone knows so that we can look as good as we can. The problem with that, and we've all been absolutely conditioned to do that, to be good boys and girls, the problem with that is that we never discover our genius, which is the genius of the universe. We never discover what happens when we don't do anything. And that is one of the most profound miracles of life. That when you do not prepare in advance, then anything is possible. And what occurs is usually way beyond anything you could imagine. So to go back to before we began this conversation, you said, well, we're going to warm up with some general <laughs> big questions. And I, and I immediately said, you know, I don't even want to know them. <laughs> All right. I, yeah. I, I would prefer not to know. And you said, wow, you're different. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and you see, there's no excitement in knowing. But when you don't know, something is ready for anything and it will automatically respond with our maximum potential to whatever comes forth. And so you're asking questions and you probably think that I'm answering them, but neither one of us is asking or answering. What's occurring right now is totally unscripted. It's coming to you from somewhere you do not know where. And then you pose this question and then an answer comes through. But it's not coming from Jacob. Jacob is not here. <laughs> it's coming through something from somewhere else. And we are merely the vessel from where that creation comes through. And whether you're talking about a tree or an animal or a human being, it works the same way for all of us. Creation from the source of life is continually moving through all of us. And when we really begin to, to feel the freedom that you spoke about before is when we realize it's all happening free of charge. It resonates true. Yeah, everything that has happened in my life, the best things, the most amazing things, I never, ever thought about them. Yeah, no, nobody knows they're going to fall in love before they fall in love. No one knows they're going to win the lottery. Nobody knows they're going to have a car accident before it happens. We may get little glimpses of things, but in essence, we don't know. We exist in a state of not knowing. 
So we're almost at the end of the interview. I have a lot of questions for you here that I have prepared, <laughs> planned. I plan to ask you, but now I have to select, um, I guess, whatever catches my eyes. What was the intention and the inspiration to write the book Luminous Life? What a beautiful title, too. There wasn't a personal intention. Something wanted me to share my direct experience of things and to try to share with people that every step of our life is guided and that and to try to say that in a way that whether you're a scientist or a mystic it makes sense the message in your book was very unique to me in the way that you speak of um, the eyes and the light through the human eyes just focus on the things we see whatever we see we should follow that and you say in an interesting way very interesting way you said anything that entered my awareness became my responsibility anything that I w that was my responsibility I would attend to and anything I attended to I would complete I never thought it that way because the way I thought about putting words into it was intuition, following my intuition, that voice. You see, nobody can explain what intuition is or what's a gut feeling. Well, a gut feeling isn't a feeling at all. An intuition, these words are describing what happens when the source of life light, God, consciousness, whatever you wish to call it, they're all the same thing. When that light catches our eye, not just the physical eye in our face, but every cell of the body has eyes. And those eyes are designed to detect and respond to light, which is totally invisible. In other words, our body is receiving, to use your word, an intuition about what is about to occur but has yet not occurred because at this time it is nothing. In other words, we are receiving information from something that is unformed before it is literally becomes what we experience as life. And the reason that occurs way before we are even slightly aware of it is so that we always meet life with our totality. People say, oh, you should be more present. That's impossible. You cannot be more present than you are in any given moment. And you cannot be less present than you are in any given moment. You are your totality in every instance of your life. Our lives are always in a state of adjustment, gradual moving toward what is about to occur so that when it occurs, we arrive at the same instance. And that is called presence. It isn't about someone doing something or someone being present. It is a state of congruence and coherence, which is what the universe is actually built on.
Right. And you call it the intelligence of life. Yes, the intelligence of life. That's guiding us, right? Yeah. That was interesting, too, because I never thought it that way. You call it true presence. So that's the intelligence of life uh, guiding us. It has nothing to do with doing anything or trying to be present, right? What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself in this human body? That I'm not in control of anything. <laughs> and, you know, how that awareness came to me was not because I took a workshop or I did a guided visualization or I read a best-selling book. It came to me by having a nervous breakdown. It came to me by totally falling apart and having 20 or 30 panic attacks every day for about six and a half years. So it didn't come to me, you know, in the way we think we learn things. We, we don't actually have, the knowing doesn't happen because uh, we take a drug or because we take a workshop or because we've read the seven laws of successful people or whatever it is. The learning comes from a direct experience. And so one realizes that they're not in control of anything when you're in a state where there's nothing you can do, there's just nothing you can do. And I had uh, such an experience more than once, and it has allowed me to realize that I don't understand anything. My concepts of life have little to do with life. They all sound interesting. We like to talk about things, but they have very little to do with anything. The truth cannot be spoken. It's that knowing you spoke about, but that knowing is not accompanied by a knower. It's just a pure knowing. It's what we know by heart. If you had a few minutes to live in your body and the world was listening, what would you say? Love is the answer regardless the question. <laughs> Beautiful. And uh, if you knew you would die soon, um, would you change, make any change in your life? Would you do anything differently? No. Um, wow, that's wonderful. And my last question, what are three things about this life experience you know for sure? I know for sure that I'm not sure about anything. <laughs> what is known to me is that we are something that animates the physical body, but we are not it. I know for sure that we are not the mind. And I know for sure that we, all of us, reside in the same choiceless state of awareness that we call godliness. Um, it has been a... Interesting and peaceful conversation. Yeah, it's, I would use the word peaceful because it has been, yeah. Thank you so much, Jacob. My wonderful pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, reaching out. And um, these conversations bring us to new places that we could never envision ahead of time. And because of that, they're a blessing. So true. 
Yeah, I have to agree with you because it has taken me to a place I didn't, yeah, I didn't imagine it to take me to. Where can we find more information about you, your books, services, and future projects? If people go to my website, which is jacoblieberman.org, O-R-G, and Lieberman is spelled L-I-B as in boy, E-R-M-A-N, or they can go to my Facebook page, which is Jacob Lieberman, and there they can observe a lovely website with a lot of uh, nice images and uh, some short videos and audios that people may enjoy and how to reach me. It's not a marketing website. We're not trying to sell anything to anyone, just an opportunity for people to, to just see what we're sharing and to see if it might touch something in them. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. You're welcome. Have a wonderful day. You too, Jim. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dr. Jacob Israel Liberman, please visit his website, jacobliberman.org. more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now.